please turn with me to Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and are pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. My friends, we come uh, this evening to this uh, 19th uh, chapter uh, in uh, Exodus, and uh, this is now uh, moving to the third month uh, since uh, Israel have left uh, Egypt, and they come uh, to the desert of Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai. It's a tremendous place, actually, uh, according to those who have been there, uh, but the actual plain before the mountains is some two miles long, one mile uh, uh, broad in its width. It's surrounded by granite stones, mountains, apparently. And uh, the area has even been said by some to be some kind of a, a natural amphitheater, a place where the voice can easily resound and be heard round about. It's as if, uh, one person has said, it's as if the Lord has created this geographical spot specifically for this particular occasion. Uh, whether that's true or not, uh, we don't know. But it's certainly very, very suitable uh, for uh, what's about to take place, where God is going to give uh, the law uh, to uh, Israel. And actually, here they're going to set up camp. They're going to encamp in uh, this area uh, for a good 11 months. So they're going to be here a long while. And a lot of things are going to take place. A lot of very significant things are going to take place here. Here is where they're going to receive the law, the Ten Commandments. Here is where the covenant uh, that God is going to establish with Israel, this national covenant, is going to be not only established but ratified uh, here. And here is where they're going to receive the instructions uh, for the priesthood and also uh, for the building, the erecting of the tabernacle uh, where God would uh, come and dwell. And here we see is the place where God uh, is going to speak audibly uh, to the people. Those two million people are going to have that awesome privilege to hear the voice of God audibly. I don't think anywhere else, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anywhere else in the Bible where God spoke, spoke to such a large number of people in such an audible way. So everything... Uh, is uh, the, the, the scene, in a sense, is set. And here in this 19th chapter, uh, the, we're gonna, it's a, like a preparation uh, before we come 
to chapter 20 where actually God speaks those 10 words, those 10 commandments. In fact, uh, the remaining chapters of Exodus and even the whole of Leviticus and the, the first 10 chapters in Numbers, they all take place during that. They all have some relation and take place during the time that they are here in Sinai, during those 11 months. Well, it's a tremendous, uh, a tremendous thing, and we want to look at some lessons that we can uh, pick up uh, from, uh, from this uh, area. As we said, the camp, uh, they set up camp before the mountain, probably they, they set up camp before the, the Mount of God, uh, Sinai itself, and it said of Sinai, again, that it was, uh, uh, it had like a protruding, a lower cliff, which rose uh, perpendicular uh, to the plain. And when you looked on it, uh, it looked as if it was a kind of a pulpit. And you can imagine uh, that from here, God will give, as it were, the sermon on the mount, the Ten uh, Commandments. But it's from here that the voice of God would sound out and could be heard easily uh, far and wide in the plain uh, below. So let's uh, look at some of these verses. Verse 3, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now, of course, Moses is very familiar uh, with this environment. Uh, he's been here before. He's, uh, when the 40 years he spent uh, with, uh, in the wilderness uh, beforehand, and it was here 40 years ago that uh, the Lord uh, met him. Uh, and uh, we read in, there in chapter Exodus uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 12, uh, these words. Remember when the Lord was, uh, appeared to him in that burning bush and uh, he, uh, sorry, not when he was 40 years ago, this was, uh, this was uh, when he was almost 80. And the Lord uh, spoke to him and persuaded him uh, to go and to lead the people out of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 12, one of the signs, the tokens that the Lord was with him he says there, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. That was a while ago, and here God has uh, brought them forth to the very same mountain uh, where he had met with Moses. So it's uh, uh, Moses is familiar with this, and here God gives him a message to convey uh, to the children of Israel. And we see here this message is again one of grace. It's a gracious message. Before the lightnings come, before the thunders are heard and the lightning seen on the mountain, before that awful long trumpet blast has come and the call comes for loyalty, uh, before that God speaks graciously uh, to them. And uh, this is how God operates. This is how God uh, usually precedes the calls for obedience with a therefore, as we mentioned even on Sunday. Look at verse 4 and 5. He has seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. That's the words of grace. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Well, friends, so gracious God had dealt uh, with uh, Israel. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. They had seen with their own eyes 
a demonstration of God's power. They'd seen what he did to, to the Egyptians, all the plagues that were brought upon the Egyptians. They, were, they, were, they saw what uh, the Lord did at the Red Sea, how he parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through. But then the waters came uh, flooding back on the Egyptians and destroyed them. They were uh, rescued from bondage uh, in Israel. It's the same for us, isn't it? Perhaps you think, oh, he's not, he's not mentioning that again. He's mentioned that so many times about the deliverance from Egypt and the parting at the Red Sea. But friends, it's, it's like the cross. It's like deliverance from Egypt by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's such a tremendous thing. It's more tremendous than the de deliverance of Egypt, uh, of Israelites uh, from Egypt. It's a much more tremendous thing. So we, we talk about it often, and we don't get tired of talking about what the Lord has done for us. But we can also say, can we not, that uh, he has broken that power, those things that enslaved us before we became Christians, before we were converted to Christ. There were perhaps, of course, our sins uh, were uh, held us in captivity. Our lust drove us uh, this here and there. Perhaps for some, and I know this is true for some, it was entertainment. And they were addicted uh, to movies. And they couldn't stop watching movies even before uh, they became Christians. They were addicts to movies. And even conversion changed them and broke that. Or some, it's uh, even pop music. They couldn't stop listening to pop music. There's an addiction there. And with, oh, for some, it was even a love of money. And uh, there was a desire to have more of it and as much of it as they can. But when they came to the Lord, well, the Lord broke that uh, attraction that money had. And perhaps before they were miserly and kept much, as much as they could for themselves. But then the Lord opened their hand and they became generous people. Perhaps there was a lust to be somebody in this world, to be seen to be a, had an ambition to, to make it as far as they could up that ladder. But then when they came to the Lord, they were content. They were content to be whatever God would have them to be. That uh, desire, uh, uh, desire for, to be somebody uh, was taken away uh, from them. Well, friends, this is what the Lord has done for us and so much more. All those sins, self-righteousness, Pride, the power of pride is broken. And the anger, perhaps, or other things that drove us. Uncleanness for some people. Well, the Lord uh, broke this, this hold that those things had, of us, had on us in our spiritual Egypt. Then he goes on to say also, how I bear you on eagles' wings. Now, I'm sure you probably know that when the mother eagle is uh, teaching her young eaglets uh, to fly, I don't know which I heard that sometimes they push them out of the nest deliberately to get them to fly. But uh, they, she doesn't just leave them to, to make their own way, to, to find their own wings, as it were, but she flies underneath them. So if ever those eaglets run out of steam as they're learning to fly, they, they land, instead of landing on the rocks and dashing themselves to pieces, they land on the wings or on the back of those eagles and uh, the, the mother eagle. And so she takes care of them. She watches over them. And uh, uh, she, it's, it's a sign of, uh, of care. And this is, the Lord says, how I bear you on eagles' wings. God is, said, I demonstrated 
my care for you since I, not only in bringing you out uh, of Egypt, but also in uh, taking care of you all along the way, in providing for you, in keeping you uh, from destruction. And also for us, isn't it? We, the Lord has borne us. The Lord is the one who has upheld us. Is, otherwise, where would we be? Even since we have believed in the Lord, it's the one, he is the one who has protected us and, and, and uh, uh, cared for us enough to provide for all our spiritual needs. We are here today because of him, because of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and brought you unto myself. Not only did he bring them out but, uh, of Egypt, but this is God's intention to bring uh, Israel to himself. And so for us also, we're not just brought out of the world, but we're brought into a relationship with God and into fellowship with him. So all these things are very precious, friends. And it's from this realization of these things as we think and we reflect often upon what the Lord has done for us since we've believed in him and uh, as well as our conversion that we feel more our indebtedness to love him and serve him and to obey him. So here the, the Lord says, verse 5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So the Lord is about to make a covenant with Israel. It's actually a covenant of works. If you do this, you will live. If you do this, I will do this, is, uh, is what's in mind. This is the national covenant uh, that he's making uh, with Israel, a covenant uh, with uh, conditions. It's different uh, from the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace was also alongside uh, this particular covenant. The covenant of grace is what we stand in as believers, and that covenant of grace is not made with us, it's between God the Father and God the Son. And the Son takes it upon himself to do everything for us in that covenant. And he does uh, uh, the conditions, he has to fulfill all the conditions. There's no requirement for us, as there were for the Israelites with this particular covenant. There were conditions they had to keep. If they kept it, then God would be uh, they would be a peculiar treasure unto the Lord above all people. But for us in the covenant of grace, Christ has done it all. And we stand not by our own obedience, but we stand because of Christ who has obeyed on our behalf. It's not based on what we have done, but on what Christ has done. That's why we call it a covenant of grace and not a covenant of works. A covenant made between God the Father and uh, the Son of God. Well, friends, uh, the, here, here it's the, the covenant of works. Now, if you keep my covenant, if you listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. Now, the word peculiar treasure it's, means something that is very valuable. Uh, in, in the Greek, it actually means, or Hebrew, it means something which is shut up. Something that you keep under lock and key. Something that is so precious that you want to keep it away in a safe and uh, keep it from the thieves and the robbers. It's something that's very special, uh, a unique uh, position. 
And here God is saying, if you obey my covenant, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be to me a special possession above all the people that are in the earth. Amongst all the nations that are in the earth, Israel would hold a special position. That's what uh, the verse means. And he goes on to say, uh, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. A kingdom of priests. Well, what's that? A kingdom of priests in, in the sense that uh, just as priests were separated, uh, uh, are separated from people, so also Israel would be separated as a nation from all the other nations. Separated uh, to do what? Separated to worship the Lord. Separated uh, for service uh, for the Lord. This would be the, their distinctive. This would be their privilege as a kingdom of priests. They would have the great privilege of having God near to them and the privilege of having access uh, to God. Now, friends, some, the, they got it all wrong, really. They took it a little bit too far, we should say, Israel, because they became very exclusive in the wrong sense. They were to remain distinctive because of what, who they were as God's people, but they began to think, oh, we are the special ones, and we are, we are to keep everything to ourselves. But God made them special with a view to them being a light and a witness to all the other nations round about. The other nations were idol worshippers. They worshipped their, their own gods. And Israel was meant to be a witness and a light to them, not to keep everything enclosed, indoors, in-house, just for themselves. Uh, but uh, they were, unfortunately, which is what they ended up doing. But they were, were, were called into this privileged position to be a light. But they're here they, we are, they refer to as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, we're familiar, isn't it, with that kind of language. Because in the New Testament, Peter says about the, the, the church, believers, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It's the same language. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Israel here is a type of the church. And the church is Christ. A, pe a peculiar possession. He sees, he sees all the people in the world, but the ones upon whom he sets his eye in a very particular way and in a special way is believers, is the church. Those who believe in him, those who love him, those who trust in him. These are the ones that he highly prizes. These are the ones that he especially loves. He is good to all, but he's especially good towards those who believe in him and trust in him. And for them he reserves his highest blessings uh, for those uh, who belong to him. They are also, just like Israel, a king of priests, a kingdom of priests. They also are called to be separate uh, from the world, set apart as well to worship and serve God. This is the function of believers of the church. And they have that privilege to call upon God in prayer, to have the Lord near to them whenever they meet together, even as we're doing tonight, to have the answers uh, to prayer, to have the Lord help uh, and to uh, be their, their guide uh, through this life, and to show forth uh, his praise uh, to the unbelieving world. 
That is part of our function now as the church. Well, Moses uh, went down and told the elders of the people all that God had said. And then in verse 8, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord had spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Well, they promised it here. In Exodus 24, they promised again the same to do all that the Lord had spoken. But very quickly, in fact, they would uh, break uh, that promise which they had made. Well, Moses, a second time, ascends up to the mount of God. In verse 9, he's going back to relate uh, all the words of the people. And the Lord says to him, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord will come, he's saying, in a thick cloud. Why? Why is he coming in a thick cloud? Well, to instill awe and reverence into the people. To teach them also, friends, that uh, his form cannot be seen. That uh, they will hear his voice. This is uh, quite uh, uh, brought, out, brought out here and in other scriptures. That the important thing is the hearing of his voice. When God speaks to Moses, well, the people will hear it too. And it's to teach them they're to live by, hear, by faith in his word. And they're to listen uh, there uh, to Moses. It's uh, an important lesson uh, to, uh, that it we'll, we'll touch on a little bit uh, later as well. But then he goes on to say, uh, the Lord says in verses uh, 10 and following, Go, and the pe go unto the people and sanctify them uh, today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. There was to be two days of preparation and then on the third day the Lord would come down upon the mount and on that third day uh, there would, uh, God would speak to them. But they had to prepare. The people had to prepare for it. They had to wash their bodies and their clothes as well. And then there were these barriers to be set round about the mountain. Look at it in verse 12. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. They shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. And when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Barriers were to be set up. The people were to go to the edge of the mountain, to the base of the mountain, but they couldn't go uh, up the mountain. Why? Because uh, it's to teach them that God is holy. It's to teach the people that they cannot, they must keep their distance because they cannot come near to God. He is, he is thrice holy. And... Uh, uh, there to worship him, uh, for, in this case, from afar. There is to teach them to reverence and stand in awe of God and not to take it lightly what is what his presence among them. And then they were also to abstain uh, from sexual relations with their wives. Why? Again, all the focus here, friends, is on their meeting with God. They mustn't be distracted by other things. They have to be, uh, have this one thing in mind. We are coming 
to meet with God. We're coming to hear from him. And let us take care how we, how we uh, listen. And when the trumpet blasted long on the third day, then they were to approach only to the base of the mount, as we said, and not to actually ascend up to it. Well, friends, do we, um, do we ourselves make preparations before we come uh, to worship, before we come to the services, if we come to hear uh, God's word, we come to hear God speak to us, do we still our hearts uh, for a few moments before the services? Do we think for a few moments about who it is that we're coming to? You know, there are uh, some people who, who say that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you like, really. You know, reverence is uh, just in the heart. And it doesn't matter what you do uh, outwardly before a service. But friends, it does. It's If we are casual before the service, if we're chit-chatting with one another, if we're looking around and seeing who's there and who's not there, and we're looking uh, here, then everywhere, and we're not really thinking about the, the Lord before we come, if, if there's an atmosphere, if everyone's doing that kind of thing, well, then you can, that's an indication of what's to come in the service. More than likely, the worship then will be somewhat casual as well. Whereas if there is silence, and if there is some uh, holding back and uh, concentration just for a few moments before the service, more than likely, well, there will be some uh, it's reverence uh, in the worship. And we do it here because we want people just to think about uh, these things, that the God that we serve, yes, he is gracious, yes, he is loving, yes, he is kind, but he is also a God uh, who is a consuming uh, fire. And so we want to remember both sides and all sides of him, as it were. So verse, <coughs> verse 16, excuse me. It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon, upon the mount and the voice of the Lord, a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And we read in Hebrews 12 that even Moses uh, said, of, said he exceedingly feared and quaked. He also was trembling when he saw the mount, as it were, on fire. Verse 17, Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God they stood at the nether part of the mount, the base, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain uh, quaked uh, greatly. This, uh, and then verse 19, And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Here we see uh, a smoke and fire and uh, uh, the one who is a consuming fire coming down upon the mountain. And the people, we read, were uh, terrified, as was Moses. The sound of a, the trumpet, this long sound, it wasn't a natural trumpet itself. I don't think they had uh, trumpets in those days. But uh, more likely the sound of a ram's horn. But it was something supernatural, not natural. And uh, it sounded loud and long, and Moses then spoke, and God called him up to the top of the mountain again. His third time in three days that he's going to have to go up uh, to the mountain. 
not bad for an 80-year-old man. But he uh, keeps going. But no sooner is he up than the Lord tells him to go down again. Uh, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Moses protested, but the people can't come up to Mount Sinai. You charged us, saying, set bounds upon the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said, they won't do it. Away, get thee down. Thou shalt come up with Aaron, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them, lest they die. Why does the Lord tell Mo Moses to descend again? Because some of the people, friends, would indeed have tried to break in and break through those barriers and to get a sight of God. They, would, they wouldn't have been content just to hear his voice. They wanted to see the spectacular. They wanted to see this tremendous thing. It was not enough for them just to listen to God. They wanted a physical representation of God. This is what they were after. This is what they were used to. They had the idols of Egypt. They had some physical representation of those idols. And they wanted something similar to see of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, brings this out. The Lord, when referring to the same uh, event, to that new generation, uh, the Lord spake to you out of the midst of the fire. He heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only he heard a voice, and it suggests to us that that's what that's what uh, they would have wanted if they could have uh, if they could have had it a sight of God. But Lord was teaching them that they had to live by His words, and they had to live by faith and not uh, by sight. Well, uh, friends, just in closing, uh, we are not come uh, to the mount that might be touched, but we are come. Uh, to Mount Zion. And I just paraphrase uh, some of the things that uh, Paul says to us in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, where we are told we are come uh, not to that mount which much be, might be touched, but to Mount Zion, to a better mediator, to Jesus, who's a better mediator than Moses, to a better covenant, the new covenant, instead of this covenant of works. And there we are exhorted to listen to his voice. Just as the people here had to listen, so, so we should listen uh, to the Lord when he speaks to us and not refuse him that speaketh. Let us have grace as well, the writer there says, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire.